continuing on our series called Upside Down. And we kicked that off a couple of weeks ago. We were on the men's retreat last week. For the men who were at that, that was awesome. And then we had a picnic and so there was no message from last week. But today I want to continue on. And the idea of this, this series picks up on a theme for the year, which is discipleship. And the idea of discipleship is that we, we should be consistently each day seeking to become more and more like Jesus, that the, the path of discipleship is a practical path of pursuing Christ, of being transformed into his likeness, of considering the parts of our life that we need to be focusing in on, that we need to be developing, growing and trusting God in it. And if you are keen to be a part of that, there is path guides out on the table. Um, and I would encourage you to grab a hold of one of those. It's like a guided journal that will help you to consider uh, how you can pursue Christ and grow in your faith this year. But we have been looking at this series now upside down. And what the whole idea is that when Jesus came and he started to talk about the kingdom of God, he revealed to us that the truths of the kingdom, the very basis of the kingdom of God is completely different to what we think is the case. So the things that are right in the kingdom, the things that are valued in the kingdom, the right ways of behaving and thinking in the kingdom of God are often radically different to what we think they are in our society. Romans 12, 2, and I want to start here really briefly this morning. It says this, it says, don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world. There's this whole pull towards the kingdom of God, but don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, you've probably heard that passage before. It's a very well-known passage, but it has in it an incredible challenge and an incredible promise. The challenge is do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't be like this world. Be careful, be intentional about how your thinking and your behaviour is being shaped, what is influencing you. Be careful about that. Because if you are, then God will transform you and when you're transformed, you will know God's will for your life, which is good, pleasing and perfect. What an incredible promise that is. And that's what we're focusing on this series is being intentional and challenging the way we think and what shapes our life. In the first week, James looked at forgiveness and I had so many people come up to me after that service to say, wow, it was challenging, but it was spot on. And so I'd encourage you if you missed that, Forgiveness is a struggle for all of us. And so I'd encourage you to watch that. You can listen to it on our podcast as well. And then Pastor Margot, the week after that, shared on the Beatitudes. And I love the way that we worked through each of those Beatitudes. And I think it was an incredible time. It might have been like 25 minutes. She powered through them and revealed how challenging they are and how practical they are in our lives. This morning, we're going to spend some time looking at a topic that's actually been on my heart for quite a while, and it might seem like a bit of an odd focus for this, thinking about how the kingdom of God is radically different to our world. And that is, this morning, I want to spend some time looking at the position of women, but particularly the, the role, um, the place of women in church life. Their, their role in church life and how we should approach that as radically different. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's a bit of an odd thing to cover. And I'll give you some context in a moment why it's important. But I'd say even outside of churches that we have an issue as a society in the way that we treat women. We have an issue as a society in the way we treat women. And there are many, many government um, projects, many not-for-profits that are really based around um, trying to um, lift up, raise up and to confront the ways that sometimes women in our society are minimised or marginalised. The Human Rights Commission, if you don't believe me, you can believe them. The Human Rights Commission says this, that the average full-time weekly wage for a woman is 14% less than a man. About 10 years ago, women's superannuation payouts were only 57% of those received by men. Over the last 10 years, there's been progress, but women only represent 34% of board positions in the top 200 ASX-listed companies. Women spend twice as long as men performing unpaid care work each week. Women, you might um, shoulder or elbow your husbands on that one. But women spend twice as long performing unpaid care work each week. And this is startling. Women are also five times more likely to suffer from various forms of abuse in their lifetime than men. Five times more likely. And so I could go on, but, and there were lots more statistics, but they really make pretty grim reading. They really, there's, there's not many there that are with women on, on the flip side and, and men on the lower end. And I think we know we need to do more. I think as a society, we're becoming more aware, we're getting better at it, and that we need to do more. And it is an issue that the society has struggled with, but I would say there's also been an issue in churches. And when I say that, I mean more broadly. And that might not have been your experience, but one of the things I wanted to do this morning is I want to unpack what we believe, what our doctrine is as a church on the role and the place and the position of women at Horizon. And I'll start here because firstly, um, we saw when Pastor James preached a number of weeks ago, he went to this passage in John 13, 35. And what this passage does is it highlights to us that we should be radically different not a little bit different, not slightly better, but that we should be radically different to the world. And it says this, So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So church, I'd say to you this morning, if we want to be effective in witnessing the gospel of Christ, that one of the best ways that we can do it is to be radically different, to treat each other as equals, to love one another in such a radically different way that people see that there is something different. That people know that we are disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another. And so in churches, the, the, the place of women should be raised up. They should be loved. They should be championed. There, there should be a focus on breaking down boundaries that marginalise and minimise uh, so that we don't look just like the world. So that we don't look just like the world. And the second one here is a little different. I, I think one of the richnesses and what I've loved about Horizon is, is we've gone on this journey of growth over the last um, number of years. And over that time, people have come to Horizon from so many different backgrounds. 
Some of you probably weren't in church beforehand. Some of you were, were in a variety of other denominations. And, and what I wanted to do this morning was to give you a really clear picture of where we sit on this. Because different denominations and different um, doctrine, uh, doctrines um, will, will put forward that there is a different role and a different place for women in church life. And so I want you to walk out of here this morning being really, really clear on where we sit. Really clear on where we sit. And so I, I'd love you to have an open mind if you're like, oh, I know where I sit on this. I know where I sit. I've heard this preached before. I've done my own investigation. I would invite you. Let's have an open mind as we explore this together this morning, because it's really important on these key issues that there is a sense of unity and an understanding of where we sit as a church, where we sit as a church. We can, there's a lot of non-essentials that we can disagree on, that we can debate over, uh, and, and that's okay, but I think this is a really important one, and hopefully our position on this is clear, is that as a church, we have got a strong legacy of women in leadership. The first 10 years of the church, we, our senior past, uh, pastor was Pastor Margot, and she did an incredible job um, uh, planting this church. Planting a church, I, 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 cannot, I cannot overstate, is a difficult gig. It is hard work, breaking new ground, starting with a very, very small team. And Pastor Margot, um, with Pastor Greg, led the church for those first 10 years, uh, preaching, teaching, pastoral care, all the things that are involved in, in starting a church. The Australian Christian Churches, which previously called the Assemblies of God, which we're affiliated with, it also um, has got a strong legacy of women in leadership. In fact, the AOG was, was started by a woman um, in the early 1900s in Australia. And so there's this strong legacy. That legacy continues today. And I actually went through and I listed at one point all of the women that were leading different ministries in the church. And it was really long. And I've got 10 minutes, so I'm not going to go through it. But if you want the list, I can give it to you. But significantly, there are five women on the church um, leadership committee, the church board. Uh, and those women are Katie, Sarah, Sharon, Bethany and Cindy. And they just help to lead uh, and, and have oversight over this community and over this congregation. And I know um, I, I often say to them and then I often say to the men on the church board as well, um, I couldn't do it without them. They raise me up, they pray for me, they support me and Cindy. And we are so grateful for them. We have women serving in every ministry of the church. In fact, so much so that Abby often comes to the men's, uh, the men's uh, ministry meetings to, to keep us on track. Um, so we have women serving in every ministry of the church. And there's a general acceptance, and I'd say across churches, across denominations, there's often a general acceptance that women um, are able to be involved, but often only in specific ministries. So you'll often see women involved in kids' ministry or women involved in women's ministries and things like that. And, and then that's really valuable. Those are amazing places for them to serve. But what you'll see is that Scripture actually opens the door and makes it clear that there is a place for women in every position of the church. And I want to take you through this, and you might be thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I know that passage that says this. And we're going to look at those, because we're not going to just pretend they're not there. We're going to look at them. You might have heard, and we'll go to Genesis 3.16. You might have heard it quoted that it is God's ordained role for men to rule over women, that that is what God intended. And the passage that's quoted there is Genesis 3.16, where God says to Eve, God says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And sometimes this is seen as an endorsement of man's place to rule. But what I'd say to you, and you probably know this, but when God is speaking to Eve at this point, this is after the fall. This is the consequences of the sinful decision that they have made. And the sinful decision has meant that the equality that God had intended is going to be strained. That there is going to be conflict where once unity and peace should have been. That where women will seek to control men, men will seek to rule over women. But this was not God's intended plan. And so if you've heard that verse quoted, it is a consequence of the fall. It's a consequence of sin. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 2, and this is another place that's often referred to, that God talks about creating Eve as a helper for Adam. And we think that idea of helper as being subordinate, that Adam was obviously to be the one making the decisions and, and ruling, but that Eve was to be his helper. But I'd say to you this morning, that the Hebrew word that's used here for Eve, uh, sorry, for helper rather, is this Hebrew word ezer. It's, it's, we have it translated as helper. And never in Scripture is that word helper used to mean subordinate to. It's never used in that way. In fact, 17 of 20 times in the Old Testament where that word is used, it's used to describe God's relationship to people. So God is the Ezer. God is never subordinate to us. He is the Ezer, the helper to us. And so that passage, that, that reference to Eve as Adam's helper is not subordinate, subordination. It's not coming in under him. And, but as we've said, it's this response to the fall that has created these divisions, that has created this conflict, that has created this power imbalance. The other two places that you might be aware of in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 14, and it's 1, uh, 1 Timothy as well. And in those passages, Paul is writing to two specific churches, and he's speaking to them, um, and he uses some words that often trip us up. And these are the ones that you'll more often than not see quoted. But 1 Corinthians 14, 34 says this, Women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. And 1 Timothy says this, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 11, says, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not, this is Paul speaking, I do not let women teach or have authority over, uh, uh, teach men or have authority over them. And I want you to hear this carefully this morning, because this is where a lot of people get stuck. There is a real importance of considering the context of what we're reading when we read Scripture. I always tread carefully here because I don't want for a second to suggest that uh, it was written to a different society, it was written to a different group of people, it's really old, so we can just ignore things, we can just uh, wipe them out, we can just pretend they're not there. It's not that for a second. And let me show you why. If we look at the 1 Corinthians um, verse that we read first here, when Paul speaks of women remaining silent in churches, he uses the Greek, Greek, word, Greek word, segato. And this word has been used before by Paul, previously in his writing, of limitations that should be placed on certain circumstances, on things like prophecy, where there's been issues with those, how those practices have been occurring in that 
congregation. If you read the whole of 1 Corinthians, and this is what I mean by context, I mean look at this verse in the entirety of this book. If you look at it, we can clearly see that Paul is addressing some significant issues in the church in Corinth. And he's addressing them, and specifically, there's been this pattern of disruption of services. So services that are occurring in an orderly way. You guys aren't out there all yelling at me and screaming, not yet anyway. Um, but there is an in, intended to be an orderly conduct of services. And Paul's overarching message through the book is that everything should be done in an orderly way when people are meeting together. And so it's, it's reasonably widely accepted and many biblical scholars will suggest to you that this is actually Paul dealing with specific problems in the church in Corinth rather than a blanket ban of women. And I'll, I'll prove that point to you in just a moment. Earlier in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually speaks of women praying and prophesying in the church. And he doesn't speak of that as criticism of the practice. He, he talks about it as part of the normal, proper order of a service. And so Paul, even himself in that very, very book, is talking about women being involved in praying and prophesying within a church service. When we look at 1 Timothy, which was the second passage that we read, it's also important that we understand what Paul is speaking to Timothy about and, and addressing the church in Ephesus over. And Paul speaks in the, in the letter about some very problematic practices. He speaks on immodesty. He speaks around idle behaviour amongst young widows, about gossip and busybodies, around people manipulating others. And into this space of problematic behaviours, Paul gives Timothy direct, different direction for men and different direction for women. You see, what he's doing is he's specifically addressing the problem areas for the men and he's specifically addressing the problem areas for the women within that church community, within that fellowship. And so what I'd say to you, even beyond this, if you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not sure, I think, you know, this is what Paul is saying. There is simply not a pattern of women being um, discluded or not, not included or, or discounted from um, church or from, from what God is doing anywhere in Scripture. In fact, if we go to the Old Testament, we're going to race through these. Exodus 15, 20, we read of Miriam who was appointed and used by God as a prophet during the time of the Exodus, this pivotal moment. In, in Jewish history, God uses Miriam, the prophet. We read of Deborah, a leader who was instrumental in guiding God's army to victory as both a prophet and judge in Judges 4 and 5. And you can look at these later. We read in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34, where God uses Huldah to lead significant religious reform. So he appoints a woman to lead significant religious reform at a time where it is desperately needed. And then if we look across at the New Testament and the radical thing about the New Testament is that Roman and Greek and Jewish society was a place where women were, were effectively subservient. Particularly in Greek and Roman customs, women were seen as property. They were literally not, they didn't have uh, um their own kind of identity, they were owned, they were property of men. And into this steps Jesus, who we, we're talking about this upside down kingdom, who radically shows a different way. He radically shows a different way. Let me give you some examples. Firstly, Jesus in Luke 7 is teaching a large crowd um, and he interrupts his teaching of this crowd of men to because it says of his compassion for a widow, the least in society, and he raises her son back to life. 
You, you might be familiar in Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. And when the religious leaders challenge him on it, he, he calls her this title that the religious reserved only for men. He calls her a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham, which means that she has full access to the promises that God gave to Abraham that she has full access. And that was significant in Jewish society and they would not have, that would have rattled them that Jesus used that term. In John 4, you know the story, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. But it is significant because not only were Samaritans hated by Jews, but Jesus actually then goes and sits with this woman and he drinks from her, her cup. And then... She is radically transformed. And guess what? Jesus appoints her or uses her as a missionary to the Samaritans. So he uses a woman, Samaritan, that the Jewish people would just have had no time for. He uses a, a woman that the Samaritans didn't even like because she was of ill repute. And, he, and it says to us, many came to Christ because of her testimony. In Luke 8, Jesus delays going to heal the child of a significant male Jewish leader to heal a woman with uncontrollable bleeding. The woman who by Jewish laws was an outcast who was banished from even being amongst them is called daughter by Jesus. So not only does he heal her, he, he heals her physically, he heals her spiritually and heals her emotionally by calling her daughter affirming her value, affirming the value of this woman that society had alienated. But I'd say to you, it's not just the way he treats them uh, in, with compassion and kindness. He also raises them up to places of prominence. So unlike the rabbis of the day, Jesus taught women the scriptures and had them as his disciples. You might think of Mary and Martha. In fact, in Luke 10, we shared this story a few, few months ago. Um, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house and you, you know the story. Martha's in the kitchen running around and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, this place reserved for a significant male disciple. And Martha comes out and says, you know, Jesus, tell her to get back into the kitchen. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke Mary for being in the wrong place. He actually says, Martha, you're wrong. You're wrong. Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary has chosen the better thing. Luke 8 speaks of Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, um, who travel with Jesus. And it tells us that these women provide support and ministry to Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Salome, Mary, the mother of Jesus, another Mary, it was a very popular name, as well as other women who go unnamed are listed as being amongst the disciples as Jesus was led to his death. And get this, the Gospels show us that women were the last standing at the foot of the cross and they were the first at the empty tomb. They were the first trusted with sharing the message of the resurrected Jesus. And so it shouldn't surprise us. Women have a place of prominence in significant leadership roles in the early church. And this is what I said I would come back to later because Paul frequently praises and speaks of the contribution of significant female leaders in the advancement of the gospel. In fact, in Romans 16 and Philippians 4, he specifically mentions Euodias and Sintais, who served, calling them fellow workers, the exact phrase that he uses to speak of Timothy and Titus and other significant male leaders in the church. 
In Romans 16, Paul uses the Greek word diakonos, which, which translates as minister or deacon to refer to Phoebe, clearly highlighting that her role was as leader of that congregation. I could go on. There's actually where well, there was a lot more in my notes, but I'm already over time. But I could go on because the case is really clear. Scriptures uh, and practices that radically challenge the norm of the day were shown by Jesus. We see that consistently. He raises women up. He, he, he doesn't just show them kindness and compassion. He sees them as, as valuable co-workers in the harvest field. We see that the New Testament and the early church had significant females as, as key leaders. They were leading congregations. They were um, missionaries. They were, they were carrying out what God had called them to. And so what I would challenge us with today is that since that time, we have often done a really good job of sidelining women in church life of telling them that they have a specific place or a specific role that is theirs, but there are some things that are reserved for men. What I'd say to you this morning is that if there was none of that that you believe, turn your Bibles over to Galatians 3.28. And the passage says this to us, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember, Genesis was speaking of the, the consequences of the fall. And now Galatians, we're reading of the consequences, the amazing consequences of Jesus's death and resurrection of the new covenant that comes. It says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism and have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are slave or free, whether you are male or female, God's promise to Abraham belongs to you, belongs to you. And so I want to encourage you this morning with a couple of things as we close. There is a quality and unity that is found in Christ as a result of what Christ did, as a result of this new covenant, this new, um, this, this new kingdom living that we are called to step into. There is a quality and there is unity. And so I'd say to you this morning, specifically to the women at Horizon, I would encourage you, that if ever the world, the church, maybe yourself, somebody else, has told you that you are less significant in God's eyes. I want to tell you this morning that God loves you. He values you. Uh, uh, he sent His Son for you and He calls you daughter. He calls you this place, this, this significant value and honour that comes through the way that Jesus speaks to you. And I would encourage you to not let other people's definition of you define who you are, but rather see what God says, because His Word is full of a message to you. I want to say to you this morning that if there has ever been a, a, a time in church life where you've been told that there's a place for you, but it is these specific things and not in church leadership, I want to say to you that if you've been told that there are places reserved and ordained only for men, I want to encourage you, take this message on board. It might be a bit of a journey that you need to go on to consider and unpack. But I encourage you, watch it again, or I can send you some more information. I'd love you to consider what God is saying about you, 
what God is saying about the, the, the call he has on your life, the purpose that he has ordained for you. And so I'd encourage you to think, what has God called and gifted me to do? Just like we would say to the men of the church, consider as part of the body of Christ, what has God called and gifted me to do? It's the same for the women of the church, because perhaps you've been, you've been called to lead. Perhaps you've been called to be a servant leader uh, alongside anyone else in the church. We are a church that seeks ordination for women, that has women preaching. And maybe God has put in your heart that that is something that someday you would like to seek out. And I would say to you that if that is the case, we want to champion you. We want to support you. We want to get alongside you. And we want to give you opportunities to lead in this church. I want to say, let's be radically different, church. Let's be a place that loves one another so deeply and so completely that when people step in here, that they see something radically different about us that reflects Jesus and what he's done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is so good at challenging the things that we uh, perhaps think are true. The, the, the things that maybe we've grown up with or maybe um, we've read about before or, or whatever it is. Lord, we thank You that it speaks life into places where people have not spoken life. We thank You that it speaks hope into spaces where there is only despair. And Father, we pray this morning specifically for the women of this church. Lord, we thank You for the way that You have called them. Lord, You have gifted them and You have given them a purpose. And Father, we just pray that they would find Horizon to be a place where they are not subordinate, Lord God, but where they are given and, and, and are able to step into opportunities to serve and to lead. Lord God, we thank You for the rich legacy we have as a church. Lord, we, we pray a blessing upon Pastor Margot who led and pastored and discipled this church for, for, for 10 years. Lord God, we, we just honour the legacy of her leadership, Lord, and we pray that Horizon would be a place where women, there is this legacy going forward of women who lead, who bless, who pastor, who teach uh, um, alongside everyone else in this congregation. And so Father, we just pray your blessing upon us now. In Jesus' name, Amen.